You're listening to the Asmund and Budic Show right here on VIC Radio. Asmund and Budic Show, Jake Asmund alongside Dan Budic. So much to get to in the program. We've been talking about the big matchup in the Final Four. And, of course, it all comes down to North Carolina and Gonzaga tomorrow night on CBS out in Phoenix. It's going to be a good one. And now joining us on the line to help us break down the matchup is a former North Carolina Tar Heel, a member of the 2009 national title team that took home the glory over Michigan State. And that, of course, is Mike Copeland. He joins us now. Mike, how are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Mike, we really appreciate you coming on. You must be very excited for tomorrow night. Oh, man. After that game last night, you know I am. Mike, for you, obviously, you played on the 2009 team. You've been in this game before. Take us inside the locker room before the national title game. What was that speech from Roy Williams like as you guys were getting set to go play? You know, well, coming off that big win over Villanova, um, going to a Michigan State game, you know, it was about business. And Coach Williams gave us a good uh, a good speech on just just going in and, and doing what we've been doing this all, all that whole year and taking care of business, man. And uh, it was a great speech, man. It got us going, and we you know we came out and we did what we've been doing the whole tournament. That was just hitting them in the face and uh, and just hitting them with our first attack. And uh, we did that, man. And we stayed on top of them. Mike, what is the emotions like getting ready to play? Not only just for a national championship game, but getting ready to play for a Final Four when you know. The stage is a little brighter, uh, yep. more cameras. What was that feeling like when you did it back in '09? Well, like, like I said, man, that first game, uh, that Villanova game, we we was just, you know we was ready to get that game out the way. You know that was a game we was ready to play, and uh, the chitters wasn't there as much. That you know, that championship game, that was our first time making it, and uh, going against Michigan State, we knew that uh, they was going to be playing really hard. Now, I, I just, it's funny you said that, man. That morning. I sat at a table with Ty Lawson, and I would never forget, me and Ty, we were nobody at the table. Me, Ty, Danny, Ed Davis, we none, none of us can eat. And we were trying to figure out why we couldn't eat. It's because we were so nervous, man. We were so ready for the game. And that was like, uh, you know, that was the morning breakfast that we had. Um, and, it, you know, it was just jitters was there, man. But once that ball went up, man, you know, it all went away. And it was about back about taking business, take care of business, and, and getting the championship back to Carolina. We're talking with former UNC Tar Heel Mike Copeland, member of the 2009 national title team. Mike, when you were playing on that team and you guys were going through all the emotions of playing in a Final Four, when you look back on it now, do you remember everything that went on that day or is so much of it just a blur because of how exciting and and how caught up in everything that was going on in your life at that moment? I remember everything. Y'all love the story, man. Uh, We had a a funny uh, kind of joke just to get the jitters, I, I was I was really like the 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 clown on the team, and uh, I used to get everybody with this joke. And what we did was we we poured water on their seat, so they see to be they they see to be full of water. And when you sit on it, you know you don't know it, your butt is wet. And we called it uh, soggy booty. That's <laughs> funny. So, so I, I hadn't got I hadn't got that joke played on me the whole year, man. And you know it's national championship game. I, I had no thought of thinking that was going to happen to me. And, uh, you know, I went, I remember that morning waking up for breakfast, going into breakfast, man. Uh, Kevin uh, Clark, Clark Kellogg was there talking to Roy Williams. 
I introduced myself to him, walked into the uh, walked into the, 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 the lounge to eat with the team, and I sat down, and I didn't think. And everybody was staring at me. At first, I didn't know this. And I looked up, and, man, I jumped up. I'm like, oh, my butt is wet. And everybody <laughs> started saying, it's all you, booty. <laughs> that's a great so, I mean, I mean that's that's just I mean that's just that's just one little joke that we had going on at the time just to get the jitters out the way and I mean I I remember everything that day man. Mike Copeland joining us, former UNC Tar Heel, 2009 national champion. Mike, a lot of these guys from this UNC team a year ago lost in really just heartbreaking fashion to Villanova. What's the message you think, knowing Coach Williams going into tomorrow night? You know, knowing that this is their second straight opportunity at this national title. I mean, after last night, man, I think he's like, you know, we're fortunate to be where we are right now. And, uh, you know, a win is a win. You know, we got that win last night. And then, you know, going back after that last night and then thinking about last year, um, I think that should give us a little more preparation and what we want to do tomorrow. And I'm thinking Roy's probably saying the same thing. And, um, I mean, it's going to be a tough game, man, because Zaga is a tough team. Um, they got bigs, they got guards, they got a full roster, and they go eight or nine deep. So, you know, we got to be prepared mentally and physically and taking care of the ball and making free throws, man. That's the, that's the main thing we got to do tomorrow. Mike, do you see any similarities in this year's Tar Heel team compared to the one that you played on in 2009? I've been asked that question quite a bit this year, man. And, uh, you know, one, one thing I, I see that's similar is redemption, you know, is, uh, is getting back. And, and that focusness, and, and uh, I, I think that they're, they're there. They, that's the same thing I, that we had back in 2008, 2009. Uh, it's there with that team. And uh, those guys want it, man. They want it. They want it more and more every game. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, it's there for them, and that's probably the most similar thing I can see. Uh, I think they're pretty loaded, you know, with the, with the death, uh, kind of like where we were. But I think we just had more more NBA guys, a little more um, a little more depth. Uh, I think physically, uh, mentally, where we were, um, we was a little better at that part. But I think that they, you know they have a lot. They had a lot to give, and it, it, I hope that they bring it tomorrow, man. I'm just hoping and praying they do that. Mike, when you look at this Gonzaga team, what is the one thing, or what is the things you think that might give UNC some trouble tomorrow night? I, I look at their inside presence. You know, Zach Collins, man, he's he's a guy that I'm very scared of. If he played like he played yesterday, he could really hurt us. You know, uh, you know, people don't talk about Williams a lot. You know, that that guy is, you know, he he's he's a he's a physical, athletic, long guy. Kind of remind me of the Oregon guys that we just played. Um, I, I just think that we have to stay out of foul trouble. Got to stay out of foul trouble. And you know, they guards, man. They run around, and they shoot a lot, and they're very aggressive. And you know they don't they don't hold back. So you know that that you know just their depth and their experience. And then you know they only lost one game this year, man. And uh, that's that's scary for me enough right there. And uh, I know they're not playing a lot of good teams, but still, man, just to, to go through the whole season and lose one game, I mean that's 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 tough. That's very tough. Former UNC Tar Heel Mike Copeland joining us here on the Asman and Budic Show. Mike, you won a national championship. Describe that feeling when the confetti's falling down and you know you're a national champion. Uh, man, I actually had the ball in my hand. I actually threw the ball in the air. Uh, when I, uh, you know, I, when I threw that ball in the air, man, I, first thing that came to mind: all the hard work from my freshman year to my senior year that I put in, going to class, and just, just 
you know, just putting that extra effort in to get to where we were and it finally met to, to my senior year, so we got a national championship. It, it was, man, it was the greatest feeling of my life, greatest four years of my life, great experience, man, just going through that, you know, just going through that, 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 that trial tribulation from the year before and then coming back that next year and, and, and going through it again. You know, we had some tough games. LSU was tough, and they played us really tough that year. Um, you know, they had Blake Griffin when we played uh, Oklahoma, um, and it was tough that that game in Memphis. So we went through a lot too, man. And to get to that championship and win how we did, man, is I mean that great feeling. I'll never forget that, man. Mike, you leave UNC, and now since you've been there and since you've been a Tar Heel, how much UNC basketball do you watch? You're following the team on a day to day, year to year basis. Year to year, man. Day to day, I go to at least one or two games a year. Uh, I keep up with the kids on the team. Uh, I know a lot of the guys now because I was living there. And, uh, I mean, I'm very close, man. We're like a family. You know, it's funny you say that. You asked me that question. Carolina's probably one of the biggest families uh, of any any D1 high-level type team. You know, we, we come together every summer. Uh, NBA guys, overseas guys, you know, guys who just graduated. doesn't matter. D-League guys, we all come back in the summertime, man. We, we're there for Coach Williams' camp. You know, we hang out, go out to eat. You know, we play ball. We work out together. And it doesn't matter if you're still playing or you're not playing anymore, man. We still we still always come together and meet summertime. And it's the biggest family I've been around. Now, Mike, is it true that Michael Jordan is giving the uh, pregame locker room speech tomorrow? He's going to say something about the uh, ceiling <laughs> being the roof? <laughs> I won't be surprised, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, when we played that year, uh, 2009, he was there. He was there. He came in after the game, but uh, he didn't. He didn't come in and give us a speech. But I remember. It's funny you said that. My sophomore year, we had the anniversary. I know. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the picture where he's kissing. He's kissing Dean Smith's head. Um, he was. He. That was the game I was playing. in. he came. He came in the locker room before the game. And he said that if we didn't beat Wake Forest by at least twenty or thirty points, that we were going to be doing a lot of running next day of practice. And he was going to be there. To make sure <laughs> Mike, that's ever... the only time. That's the only time Michael Jordan's done that, man. Well, what is it like to just be in the presence, even for a short period of time, of, of the great Michael Jordan? Oh, man, man, I, I can't. I, I, there's only there's only so many words I can say, man. I don't been around. I don't met him three times, and every every each time is just is I go crazy. Like uh, one of the times I ran through the tunnel, he was there. I think we actually played Duke. He shook my hand and hit me on the butt and told me, "Good game, kiddo." I mean, I ran the locker room. I told you guys, I'm never washing my hands, man. <laughs> and uh, just being around, man, just, it it makes you feel like you 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 done something in your life, like you accomplished something. Just to be around him, knowing he wore that same jersey as you, and uh, and he came, he won a national championship too. Also, being part of that that small small family is is, is also just big in so many words, man. Now, Mike, I got to ask you, because you won a national title in North Carolina, but you have yet to win an Ultimate Hoops championship. <laughs> what do you think has been the biggest reason why you haven't been able to capture a UH championship out on Long Island? Man, I, I would say last year, um, you know, we, we kind of fell apart, uh, my team. I was with the, the first time. This year, man, this is my first time playing with Unstuck. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we... You know, we had that long break, man. You know, I wanna, I'm going to blame the long break. But that three weeks, when we had three weeks off, we had to buy. That kind of threw us off a little bit. But, you know, man, I got to get me a ring. Man. I got to win one, man. I, I'm tired of uh, 
in and out seasons, not getting the wings. So I'm, I'm putting a lot of effort in this next one this summer. I'm trying to get get one this summer. Speaking of some rings, you have a prediction for us tomorrow night? <sighs> yeah, I, I, I say we win by no more than about three or four. It's a good close game. Okay, so we'll have a nice close national championship game tomorrow night. Yes, it's going to be it's going to be competitive. It's going to be up and down. I'm pretty sure they're going to run with us. We love to run. It's going to be a fast paced game, and you know I think it's going to be a lot a lot of emotion in this because you know like I told you, man, because I was going to lost one game, and then we're coming back after back to back championship. We want to win. We want to win. So it's going to be fun. He's Mike Copeland, formerly of the 2009 North Carolina Tar Heels that won the national title over Michigan State. Mike, as always, thanks for giving us a couple minutes of your time, and good luck to your team tomorrow night. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, man. You are listening to the Asman and Butte podcast on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Asman Butte Show, Jake Asman alongside Dan Butik. 35 minutes in the books. Thank you to Mike Copeland, formerly of the 2009 North Carolina Tar Heels, for joining us in that last segment. And how about that? You had a national title cool. member, a, a guy who's won a title, a guy who knows what it's like, who's played in the game before, who's been a part of it, breaking it down, saying that he's nervous and he thinks it's going to be a close game too, as do I, as does Vegas. We mentioned it before, if you're just joining us, the line in this game went from two and a half favoring the Tar Heels, and it's down to one. It's almost a pick em. And that means that there's a lot of money being being thrown on Gonzaga. People really believe in the Zags. People really believe this is going to be the year Gonzaga wins that national title. And like we, I said at the top of the show, this is a team, a Gonzaga, well, program, I should say, where over the last 10 years, how many times have we heard Gonzaga is going to go to the Final Four this year? They're going to win it. They're going to win it this year. They're going to get there this year. They're going to do it this year. And it just hasn't happened. Is this finally the year Gonzaga gets over the hump? They're in the national championship game. Is this the year they do it and win a national title and bring it home to Gonzaga. It's going to be tough to top last year's game where you had the shot by Page as you talked about earlier and then the buzzer beater right after that from Chris Jenkins for Villanova and also if there is a buzzer beater I guarantee you that the winning coach will react with a little bit more emotion than Jay Wright did a year ago when Jay Wright I mean, there was really no reaction he, he just he's just like oh went in we won a national title great and he just kept walking and he, he didn't even he didn't even smile it was unbelievable. Well, I'm sure Roy Williams will be a little more. Whoever it is, if it comes down to a buzzer beater, will be a little more joyous. Two great coaches in this game. I don't think Mark Few gets enough credit, and a lot of it is because Gonzaga's never been here, but they've had some year. Mike Copeland just said it on with us before. They've lost one game this entire season. Gonzaga's legit. They have guard play. They have really good size down low. That guy Collins off the bench last night was terrific. And listen, as long as Gonzaga is able to kind of play their style on North Carolina— North Carolina has played in some close games this tourney. They've been battle-tested, but I think this could be another good game tomorrow night. Yeah, North Carolina has been battle-tested, and the question is, and a lot of people are questioning it, has Gonzaga been battle-tested? Is this going to be their biggest uh, test so far? Can they bring down a North Carolina team that, like we mentioned, like Mike talked about, like we've talked about, they were in this spot last year. They let it slip away. They just couldn't hold on and win that game. And, you know, oftentimes you give a team a second opportunity back-to-back years in the national title game, a lot of teams don't lose a second time. We saw Butler lost when they uh, went back-to-back years not that long ago. So 
I don't know. I think we're in for a really good game. I think uh, I hope it comes down to the buzzer again. I mean, la- you mentioned it. Last year was so exciting. I mean, I can't remember a national title game as exciting as the way last year's game ended. And let's be honest, though, the moment of the tournament might have been in the women's side of things with South Carolina, excuse me, Mississippi State stunning UConn at the buzzer. And unfortunately for Mississippi State, they couldn't finish the job. They lost to South Carolina tonight in the women's national title game, 67-55. to So it's almost like the United States, when they beat Russia in 1980, they had to then go on and play Sweden in the gold medal game. And they won, of course, winning the gold medal for Mississippi State. They slayed the dragon, in this case, UConn, and they couldn't finish the job. They lost to South Carolina tonight. But how about that game on Friday night with Mississippi State ending UConn's 111-game winning streak at the buzzer in overtime? That was one of the most exciting finishes I've seen in any sport. Oh, it was, considering just how everything was on the line and UConn hadn't lost in 111 games. But you're right, bittersweet for Mississippi State. They beat the best team in the history of women's basketball. They hadn't lost in 111 straight game. They'd won the last, what, four or five national titles and and then they lose the national title game. That's got to be a difficult pill for Mississippi State to swallow. But, I mean, they slayed the dragon. They did what a lot of people said was impossible, and it was called the greatest upset in the history of women's basketball. And it very well might have been. No one had Mississippi State upsetting UConn in the Final Four, and it happened in, again, very dramatic fashion, a buzzer beater in overtime. But you know what was so funny is UConn was down for most of that second half. They battled back to tie the game, force overtime, and it seemed like sort of like, as we remember with the Super Bowl with the Patriots. They Once they got to overtime, they took advantage. They won the game for UConn. They got the game to overtime, but they couldn't finish it off. It's also a tricky situation if you're UConn. They're used to winning against every single team they play. And dominating. Dominating. Double digits. So when they're finally in a close game, you know, how often have they played close games in, in their careers, some of these players out there? Probably not much. Probably their practices are a lot more competitive than most of their games. So UConn has never really been in that spot before. That close in overtime of a you know a national semifinal game, it was crazy. And congrats to Mississippi State. I would have loved to see them finish the job tonight, but maybe they were so exhausted after that win they had nothing left against South Carolina. Maybe, possibly so. Now, does that take away from the win against UConn, the fact that they didn't win the national title? Obviously, in the grand scheme of things, you know they lost and, and they lost the national title. The goal is to win the title, but will that game? The Mississippi State win over UConn on Friday night. Will that game stand alone as as a monumental victory? Well, the only thing I can think of that I can compare it to is when the Jets beat the Patriots in 2010. They beat Brady and the Patriots on the road in Foxborough, then didn't go to the Super Bowl the week after losing to the Steelers. That win was still sweet. The win over UConn for South for for Mississippi State will still be improbable, still be a great feeling. But it would have been something if they won the title. They won it would have brought it all thing, together. It would have made a great 30 for 30. Then it would. You're right. Maybe it would have been the 30 for 30 one day. What if I told you one team had to slay the dragon? And then it'd be very similar to what we just talked about with the 1980 comparison with the U.S. and Lake Placid taking down the USSR on their way to winning the gold medal under uh, former Asthma Beauty Show guest Jim Craig. That's as right. Goalie. As the goalie, a, gr- a true tremendous job in that. Um, in that gold medal round and, and winning the gold medal for the U.S. But you mentioned it. They had to go on and beat Sweden. So would we remember that win if they didn't beat Sweden? Would we still remember it? I mean, it's hard to answer because we can't go back in time, but would it still be remembered today if, if they did not win? I don't think it'd be as win? big of a deal. 
Well, that's what I'm saying about this win for Mississippi State because, yeah, it's a great win, but will it be as remembered as if or or in regards to a historic victory if they went on and won the national title? It's a great debate because there's no way of knowing unless we yeah. invent the time machine and we tell Jim Craig to let a couple goals in whenever the game was in 1980. That's the only way we'd be able to find out. But it, it is a good debate. But congrats to Mississippi State on what they accomplished. But it's South Carolina who didn't have to face UConn on their way to winning a national title. You know, they're, they're benefit, they, they benefited from the fact that UConn went down and they just had to beat Mississippi State. So South Carolina, they didn't win it in men's. They went to the Final Four. But South Carolina women's basketball takes home the national title this year. And Mississippi State, by beating uh, UConn, opened the door for another team to win this title because... I mean, fact of the matter is, I don't know if there would have been another team. Mississippi State played great. They played their best basketball of the season. They beat a team that hadn't lost in 111 games. But if Mississippi State had lost to UConn, and UConn plays South Carolina, UConn probably wins that game. They're much better than South Carolina, and they, they were much better than Mississippi, ta- Mississippi State, too. But Mississippi State played just played a hell of a game. Now, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, I'd like to add that we were on ICTV Sports Final earlier tonight previewing the Mets and Yankees season. What a great time. And that's why we're wearing the baseball jerseys. Well, and also, it looks great on Facebook Live as well. We it's, love it. And we, we had some technical it. issues with our Facebook Live tonight. We had a lot of technical issues with, with the show tonight. but some, some, sh- some questionable Wi-Fi going on here in the studio. I, I don't know about you right now. I cannot get on my computer. I'm, I don't know if you're having the same issue I'm, I am. I know our producer Jason's having some issues. I'm having a little bit of issues connecting to the The Ithaca Internet. College Wi-Fi is atrocious. But you know what? There are, there are some days it works a lot better than others. Tonight is not one of those No, it's, we're having a lot of issues here in Park. And usually in Park, it works pretty good. You'd think in a communication it's, school the Wi-Fi would work, but that may be too much to ask these days. I don't know. Well, you know. Those kind of things happen sometimes. Me, in a, I'm like, going to place a phone call to Mr. Bob Iger and ask for a little bit of Wi-Fi here. Us students, we need we need something. I mean, it could be our gift. You know, we're on the way out. We have two freshmen some, helping some, us on the some show. Some better tonight. Wi-Fi going. That should be the senior class gift this year. Better some Wi-Fi. Better Wi-Fi campus wide. I'm for it. Yeah, start, I, start the committee. <laughs> they, they, they've been, I hear they've been calling you for uh, some donations. Well, you know, they're calling all the seniors, the graduating seniors. They, it's it's part of the it's part of being a bomber, being a senior bomber. You gotta get, you gotta field the phone call. Give back, but I, there should have been a vote, or maybe there was, and we just missed. I'm sure there was a vote on what the gift should be. I don't even know what. Better it is. Wi-Fi, but better Wi-Fi. Why was that not on the list? That is very important. This is awful right now. I just, I can't. I can't my computer's just frozen. I can't do anything. Are we still even on Facebook Live? Can people even hear us right now? We, we are on Facebook Live still. We're still live. We oh. got six people watching. That's exciting. Came back up. We appreciate the But my Wi-Fi is going in and out also. It's it's brutal. So if you're still watching us on Facebook Live, the Wi-Fi is working just enough. What we'll do right now is we'll take a quick break. We'll reset the show. When we come back, let's talk some baseball. We're wearing the baseball jerseys. The Yankees did not have a successful opening day down in Tampa. And the New York Mets get things started tomorrow afternoon against the Atlanta Braves. So we'll talk some baseball. We'll talk about the Yankees and the Mets and preview their seasons when we come back right here on the Aspen Beauty Show. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gustbuster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit gustbuster.com and get your Gustbuster today. You are listening to the Asman and Budic Show on VIC Radio. Tune in radio and podcast it on ICTV.org and iTunes. 
Hour two of the Asman and Budic Show. Jake and Dan with you until midnight. Talked a lot about the NCAA Men's National Championship game that's going down tomorrow night in the first hour of the program. But now let's talk some baseball as we have on Sunday Night Football. Or Sunday Night Football. I miss football so much. We have on Sunday Night Baseball in our studio. St. Louis taking on the world champion, still feels weird to say, Chicago Cubs in the first Sunday night baseball game of the season. But if you were watching baseball earlier today, the Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays opened up the new MLB season. And the Yankees sent their ace, Masahiro Tanaka, to the bump. And he did not have it today. Tanaka got roughed up from really the get-go. He allowed three runs right off the bat. Tanaka only went two and two-thirds innings pitched. Allowed eight hits, seven earned runs, walked two batters, and he only struck out three. Even allowed two home runs as well. It's one game out of game out of 162, but the Yankees, we're used to this by now, they have not won an opening day since 2011, the last time they won their first game of the season. Robinson Cano was the second baseman, Derek Jeter was the shortstop, and A-Rod was the third baseman, and as Andrew Marchand wrote on ESPNNewYork.com, no one had heard of Biogenesis yet, so it's been a long time since the Yankees actually won an opening day, but I was a little surprised not at the outcome because it's one game. The fact that Tanaka, who had such a great spring training, was just awful today, didn't have it from the beginning. And that's the concern if you're the Yankees. And again, it's opening day, and you know, we kind of joke around. You lose one game, your first game, it feels like you've lost 10 in a row. But I agree with you. The loss, uh, listen, you never want to lose, but it's opening day. You can't really get that caught up in it. It's more about Tanaka not pitching well. And, you know, we talked about this before. If the Yankees are going to be good this year, you know, their offense is obviously going to have to produce, and the young guys are going to have to pitch well, are going to have to play well. But Tanaka's going to have to pitch well. There is no scenario where the Yankees, I think, are anywhere near a playoff team if Tanaka doesn't pitch well. So he has to be a guy the Yankees can look at every fifth day and go to and expect a quality outing. I know it's only one start. But hopefully his next time out, he's a lot better than this because, you know, two and two-thirds innings, eight hits, seven runs. He just never really looked comfortable out on the mound, and I think uh, it showed in his performance. Yeah, he didn't have it today, and his location was not there. He was missing spots, and he's a guy that usually, as Joe Girardi said in the postgame, when he doesn't have his best stuff, he's usually pretty accurate so he can kind of get by without having to strike a ton of guys out. But he just didn't have it, and for the Yankees, they never won an opening day, as we just talked about, but... You're right. For the Yankees to be good this year, Tanaka has to be their ace. If they're worrying about Masahiro Tanaka, they got some real issues. They got issues all over this roster, especially in that starting rotation. Tanaka's not one of them. He just did not have a good start. Picked a bad day for it with, of course, it being the first game of the season. But for the Yankees, it's one game out of 161, and they're still on pace to go 161-1 and as long as they win every game from from, uh, here on out. Right, and, um, you know, if you want to... uh, Look at the bright side. The Yankees' bullpen was very good today. They pitched over five innings. They did not allow a run. And that's that's the biggest strength of the team. Right. So that's something you look at from a positive note. And again, they also had opportunities to get guys on. They had guys on base. They had some opportunities to get back in this game. I really thought that uh, when they had the bases loaded for Gary Sanchez... You know, he gets a he gets a home run there. So it's, it's a one run game. That's what I liked. So if you wanted some positives as a Yankee fan, bullpen pitched well, which you expect, and they did have some chances they never gave up. And how about this? Chase Headley had three hits today. This guy was as we were talking about when we were watching the game. Chase Headley was hitting under a hundred after the first month of the season. He had three hits today, so he was already off to a much better start than he was at the beginning of last year when and he was just atrocious. And he had an extra base hit today, and it took him till I think. Till the second week in May, or was it June? It might have been June. It took him forever to get an extra base hit last year. I remember a month and a half into the season, Chase Headley's hitting 082 with like six singles. He was brutal 
last year, early in the year. So that's a positive note coming out of it. But again, the big concern is Tanaka, and they need Tanaka to pitch well, and they need him to be a lot better than he was today. So if Tanaka can figure it out, and it kind of sets the bar for the rest of the rotation because they have a lot of question marks. They got CC, they got Pineda. You know, they don't have a lot of guys they could really hang their hat on. So they really need Tanaka to be that anchor and be that ace like he was last year. And he pitched so well in the spring. 23 I, innings pitched, and he only allowed one earned run in the spring. Well, that's why I think it's a little surprising because he was coming off such a great spring. And listen, you didn't expect him, you don't expect him to go out there on opening day and pitch a no hitter, but I'm sure the Yankees expected to get a quality start out of Tanaka, and it just didn't happen today. And he put them in a very difficult hole early on. I mean, they were down 3 nothing like that. They drew it within 3 2, and that's when Tanaka really imploded. Uh, gave up seven runs. So if the Yankees, you know, again, it's you can't really you kind of harp on the same things because it's opening day. There's nothing else to talk. There's about. really nothing else to talk about. It, the bottom line is Tanaka's got to pitch better. But you know, the Yankee fans shouldn't. I, I don't think it. A, a, any anyone that's any, jumping no, off any a bridge, crazy about it. Yeah, you, don't you go relax. jumping off a bridge. It's one game. I think it's a little concerning that Tanaka didn't pitch well, but he's going to get 30 more starts. Yeah, so. I, I, it's one of those things where if he chose, if, if he is going to have a game, every pitcher has a couple of starts where they just don't have it. They get shelled. Hopefully that, that you get that game out of the way. Now he goes out there on Saturday when he pitches next, and he has a good start. But, you know, and to put it in perspective, in the first inning, he allowed three runs. In all of 2016, Tanaka only gave up four first inning runs. So he usually gets off to pretty good starts. We're not used to seeing him struggle, and we gave you his spring training numbers. Just before 23 and two-thirds innings pitched, only allowed one run. So uncharacteristic of Masahiro Tanaka, and we'll see what the Yankees do. They have the off day tomorrow. And then they'll play again on Tuesday. But the Mets open up tomorrow. And obviously, expectations are high. This team has been to the playoffs the last two years. But it seems to be the same storylines involving the Mets and their health. They already enter the season with some guys questionable in their starting rotation as far as health. The one thing they do have going for them is they do have a lot of depth. And Noah Syndergaard, a guy who was not hurt last year and was really their main pitcher that was able to do so well and started that one-game playoff a year ago, he gets to start tomorrow for the Mets as they open up the season against the Braves at City Field. Yeah, for the Mets, the key to this season is what you just said, Jake, health. It's about keeping the rotation relatively healthy. Now, what does relatively healthy mean? That three guys don't go down like they did last year. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have hiccups. You're going to have those kind of bumps in the road where guys need to miss a couple of starts here and there. That's normal, but you know you can't lose another guy. To, you can't lose three guys to season-ending injuries, which is what happened to the Mets last year. They got to get these guys through the season, and I think if they could do that, and you know the majority of them stay healthy, if they could get 30 starts, you know 25 to 30 starts at a Harvey Wheeler, uh, excuse me, Harvey Syndergaard and Degrom. You know, just those three guys, if you get 25 to 30 starts out of each of them, you're probably talking about a, a, a lot of wins for the Mets this year, not to mention Gazelman and, and Lugo. So it comes down to health. It comes down to they can't have those same injuries in the rotation that they had a year ago. Really, injuries in general. You know, it's very difficult for them to to withstand those kind of injuries that really derailed them last year. That's why it was so remarkable that they found their way into the postseason with an amazing September, going 26 and 13, whatever it was down the stretch, last month and a half of the season. It's the injuries. They got to stay healthy. And if they do that, you know, it's it's going to be a relatively exciting season for the Mets this year. I think there's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot of uh, of optimism, I think, in, in Mets land these days uh, with the season starting tomorrow. And what's the one thing the Mets always do well? They always win on opening they day. They do. That is true. The Mets have a 618 winning percentage on opening day. That's the highest in Major League Baseball. And even when the Mets haven't been good the past couple years. They always find years, a way to win on opening day. They always like. win on opening day. But you look at this Mets team and. 
I'll ask you, Dan, as a big Met fan, is anything short of a championship a failed season this year? Because this is the window right now. We keep hearing about how, oh, the Mets have this window to win. Well, they went to the World Series two seasons ago. Last year, they went to the playoffs. They're not going to be able to keep all these guys for that much longer. Eventually, you're going to have to pay these starting pitchers. And baseball, we've seen it. It's tough to win long term, year after year. The days of the Yankees being in the playoffs every year, it's tough to do. It doesn't happen anymore. Is this the is this the year the Mets got to win that championship, or is the window going to start to close? I think it's the next two years. They have to win a World Series in the next two years because you're going to have Harvey hit the free agent market. You're going to have moving pieces. They do have some young guys coming up as far as Rosario at shortstop and Dominic Smith who people are saying is probably going to be a gold glove, looks like a gold glove first baseman uh, in AAA. So, you know, they have some guys coming up, offensive pieces. But as far as the pitching is concerned, they have two years now to, to try to win a World Series. I think this year they have an excellent opportunity to do so, even though the National League is very tough and led by the Chicago Cubs, So who are down one nothing here in the top of the eighth inning to the Cardinals on opening night. Opening up on the road. Opening up on the road. And we talked about that, too. Very bizarre. And we'll talk about that in a second. But just going back to the Mets real quick, this is – they have a two-year window here, in my opinion, to really win a World Series with this group and this kind of – this core they have, especially with the pitching staff. This is a big year for the Mets. I think this is one of the most important years in Mets history. I really do. I think this is one of those years. Like I remember, you know, my dad telling me that how important 1986 was because they in 1985 the Mets had just missed the playoffs. They won 90 games. 1984 they had just missed the playoffs and they were kind of on the cusp and they had a window in 86 and 87 and 88 to win a World Series. And when they do, they won the World Series in 86. They just missed going back in 88. So I kind of look at the same kind of uh, same kind of. Uh, opportunity here for the Mets. I think this is a very important season, and if they can do it this season, I think this is one of the most talented groups they've had in a very long time, so we'll see. They've been building to this moment. 2015, they weren't supposed to be in the World Series. They got there a year earlier than a lot of people thought they could get there. Last year, injuries kept them from really going on a deep run, and they still made the postseason despite the fact that they lost three-fifths of their starting rotation. This year, if guys are healthy, the Mets, you can make a case, are as good as any team in the National League, and that includes the Chicago Cubs. That includes the St. Louis Cardinals, the Dodgers, and even the Washington Nationals in their own division. But it's all about health. Can Noah Syndergaard stay healthy again? You know, Matt Harvey, what is he at this point? He doesn't need to be the Matt Harvey that started the All-Star game, but he still has to be an above-average starting pitcher that they can rely on. Same with Jacob DeGrom, who I think is in for a really nice season if he stays healthy. They have all the pieces in place. They brought back Joanna Cespedes, gave him the long-term deal. This is the year for them to try and win it all because we've seen it. Windows close kind of fast. And for the Mets, they've been to the playoffs the last two years. Got to make sure they give it their best shot this year because you never know in baseball. No, absolutely. And I think this year also, and we talked about injuries with the Mets, I don't think you will see a Mets team next year or any season that's as deep as this team is right now at every position on the field. Well, and I think Let's talk about their outfield situation because that's a big storyline going into the year. they got four guys that, you know, all of them could start on major league teams. Really, just, five guys. They, I mean, they have so five, much outfield. You count the Garris. Right. a gold glover. So it's going to, you know, he's pretty much been a late game defensive. Five guys for three spots. Someone usually gets hurt. That's usually how these things work out. But for right now, you have a guy in Jay Bruce. You have a guy in Conforto. Granderson. And Yoannis Cespedes, who's going to play every day? It's going to be tough for Terry Collins to try and manage all that. No, it, it definitely is. And he definitely has a, 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 his work cut out for him going into the season. But I think one of the things it does do is it allows him to play with the lineup a little bit. It allows him to look at matchups, which is, I think, something, especially on the left-handed side of the plate, he wasn't necessarily able to do last year because they kind of went into last season 
they really went into last season looking at Conforto as, okay, this is going to be the type of year where Conforto is going to jump on the scene. He's going to hit 300. He's going to have a great first full season after coming off a great uh, time and the great World Series performance against the, the Royals. So, you know, I think naturally the Mets thought he was going to take that next step. We kind of caught up with him a little bit. It didn't work out. He was struggling. He went to AAA. But you know what? In that time doing so, the Mets had to fill a need. They traded for Jay Bruce. And now they come into this season with two guys that could start for any major league team in right field. And I think that's something really unique that they have. Because you mentioned the injury bug has played them so many times before. Jay Bruce is a free agent at the end of this season. He's not going to be with the Mets next year. Jay, there's no chance they're bringing Jay Bruce back. He's not going to get a long-term deal from the Mets. Michael Conforto is probably going to be in the outfield moving forward. But for this season, why not try to manipulate the depth as much as you can and until one guy gets hurt or is not playing well, run it like it is. Have Bruce play right field. If you need to go to Conforto at times, go to Conforto. He's a major league guy. You could go off the bench. Bruce He's could a also take time at first base. That's if true, Luka too. doesn't play well. They're very... You know, I don't want to compare them to the Cubs, but they're like the Cubs in in the fact that they have a lot of guys that could play a lot of different positions. And that might be the blueprint to win. They, you know, uh, the Indians kind of had that too last year. They had some guys that could play different positions. And I think just as far as depth is concerned, I don't think the Mets are ever going to have a team this deep. I really do. And I think, you know, it's funny. We look, we, we look back at the teams in 08, 07, those teams that melted down at the end of the season. They, they didn't make the playoffs. And what was the issue? Well, they didn't have depth in the rotation. They didn't have depth in the bullpen. And they didn't have depth on the field. It's like every year it was something else. Well, this team, it's kind of like Sandy Alderson saying, you know what, I'm tired of hearing about the depth. Let's put as much depth as we can on this team. Let's make sure we have major leaguers ready if people go down. And, you know, God bless Sandy Alderson. That's what he's done. Well, you know, the thing with the Mets, and I've said this before on the show, day-to-day with the New York Mets oh, it's year to year, baby. usually means week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year. I, I don't know if we're ever going to see David Wright again. Yeah, at first he was only supposed to be out a couple days, and now look what's happened to him. It gets worse and worse for him. He can't. The, the thing, and, it's funny with David Wright, he just he can't throw right now. But he's how hitting. Many, besides Wright, throw. just how many times with the Mets have we heard, oh, it's nothing serious, should be all right. You know, next thing you know, the guy you don't see the guy for a year. Zach Wheeler, you know, he hasn't pitched in two years. Now he's going to get a chance to be in this rotation. Let's talk about him for a second. Speaking of injuries, Zach Wheeler getting the opportunity because Steven Matz is going to start the season on the DL. What's the expectation for a guy like Zach Wheeler that hasn't pitched in two years? You know what? I think the expectations are reasonably low, and I think they're going to have low expectations. But, you know, a lot of people, and I saw on, tw- on Twitter, Ben Beatty, who works for the show, who's done you know, doing great board op with us. All he's in L.A. Media. now. Handles all our digital media. He's a, he makes some of the best promos we've ever seen. Former really. Red Sox fan. For, <laughs> but he, he, I was going back and forth with, with him on Twitter last week going about it. He didn't understand why I put Wheeler in that position as starter. But, you know, Zach Wheeler hasn't pitched in two years. He's probably only going to be able to give the Mets 125 innings, they're saying, this year at at most. So if he's going to only pitch 125 innings, there's a good chance those innings aren't going to happen at the end of the season. That come September, Wheeler is going to be on the sideline, which is fine. Why not then let him pitch now, get those innings going now, because chances are Matt's is going to come back. You got Lugo coming back. There isn't a lot of pressure on Wheeler, so it makes sense to have him in the rotation. Or now. if he pitches well, it gives you another guy that you could leave and in And it there. creates some competition. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe you go over 125 innings if he feels comfortable. Or if you pull the plug on him as a starter, you know, at least you know that he could pitch well. You put him in the bullpen to save some of his innings, and now you strengthen your bullpen. You add to the back end of your bullpen with a guy in Zach Wheeler that before Matt Harvey came along, Zach Wheeler was Absolutely. the guy that Met fans were the most excited about. Then Harvey emerged onto the scene. You almost forget Zach Wheeler was rated a higher prospect than Matt Harvey a long time ago. It's hard to you know think back to that because of what 
what Harvey's accomplished in his career. And Wheeler's been injured the last two years, suffered the Tommy John. But Zach Wheeler, at one point in his career, was a top prospect in the Mets organization. Still could be a really good pitcher, but you got to let him be a starting pitcher in order to find that out. Oh, I'm with you. I, I, I'm happy they didn't put him in the bullpen because I think put, putting him in the bullpen to start the year would have just kind of thrown him off. It just wouldn't. It just wouldn't have felt right him starting off the season, considering he hasn't pitched in so long. He needs to be stretched out right now, and I think if the Mets are going to do that right now, it should be at the major league level. They have a hole in their bullpen. It's not like it's not like they had five guys already coming in that were set. Mats went down. Lugo's got arm fatigue from the WBC, so it created an opportunity for Wheeler, who hasn't pitched in two years. Give him a chance to get a couple of starts. If he doesn't look good, you know what? You could put him in the bullpen. But I think what they're probably going to do is he's probably going to go to AAA and. Start because I just don't think it benefits Zach Wheeler right now in April to be in the bullpen. I think he needs to start. He needs to get his his arm going. He needs to lengthen out his arm so he could pitch, you know, six seven innings at, at some point again. He, he being in the bullpen now I think would only hinder his development as a starting pitcher.